בשם השם נעשה ונצליח, שיעור תורה, ברוכים הבאים. We are back here continuing our series of uh, Jewish intimacy based on the Igeret uh, HaKodesh uh, by the uh, Holy Ramban, Nachmanides from uh, approximately 800 years ago. Uh, and Be'ezrat uh, Hashem, today our shiur will be for the Refuah Shlema, for Rabbanit Levana Bat Sara, Rabbanit Sara Bat Anat. הרב אפרים בן שולמית, אבי מורי דוד בן נסריה, אמי מורתי דוריס בת ג'ורה, and also for the הצלחה רבה for מרסה בת ג'ולי, and our children, and all of Am Yisrael, and all the righteous Noahides, to continue to serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and push themselves further and further closer to Hashem, which sounds like an oxymoron, which it is, but nonetheless, a necessary endeavor for all of us. Um, before we start, just to remind you, anyone that hasn't watched the, um, the new preview of uh, the new movie, uh, Genom, that's coming out Be'ezrat Hashem next month, it's online, it's also on our uh, new website, which is uh, Gehenom.org, uh, G-H, uh, G-E-H-I-N-N-O-M, two N's. Uh, you could go and watch the uh, the first pre- preview we have of it, or the trailer, uh, over there. Be'ezrat Hashem will be coming out with another trailer next week. I know quite a few of you are looking forward to it. Also, anyone that wants to take uh, advantage of the opportunity of a lifetime uh, to uh, help us and partner with us in this movie uh, after we've actually done all of the, uh, the hard work is welcome to do so. You can go to genom.org. Uh, and uh, help us and all of Am Yisrael, as well as yourself, avoid Ganom By going to Ganom.org and Ganom.com, a person can certainly help all of Am Yisrael, and especially themselves and their family, avoid Ganom because this is the uh, uh, critical teachings of the generation, Baruch Hashem. Uh, so with that being said, we have an extraordinary lot of, uh, amount of material here, uh, which uh, Be'ezrat Hashem, we will deliver... Uh, in a uh, in accordance with Hashem's uh, uh, desire, and uh, this is a um, by far the most difficult lecture series we've ever done, uh, simply because it's a uh, it's a sensitive subject that needs to be discussed with kedusha, but also involves a lot of uh, different types of teachings that uh, we've never taught before uh, and never learned before. Uh, so Baruch Hashem for that. So we see that uh, throughout the first uh, half a dozen lectures uh, in this series, uh, the Ramban treats Jewish intimacy very, very different than the way uh, society does, uh, you know, where society today has, in so many words, turned uh, men and women into objects. Uh, You know, it seems like when I was young, uh, the uh, you know it was mainly women as objects, but today it's become quite uh, you know quite different than it was back then. And both women and men have become objects, of course. Uh, while the feminists like to complain about that, they also magnify it by uh, you know turning themselves into objects in the way that they dress, and the way they behave, uh, and needless to say. The, uh, the feminine men out there that still uh, claim to be straight are not doing such a uh, bad job at destroying their own souls themselves. 
so uh, one of the main things that we've learned from the Ramban so far is that the way that the sages discuss intimacy, the way that the sages treat intimacy, uh, is a world apart, to say the least, uh, from uh, the way the world is today. Uh, it's a, uh, you know, one of the main things that the Ramban has discussed so far in this first chapter is the preparation for intimacy, meaning we haven't even gotten into the actual intimate act itself, although we did discuss a interesting law uh, that it did involve a, uh, a uh, certain uh, way to, uh, to be intimate and what it entails. Uh, but nonetheless, we're still in the first chapter. We're going to complete the first chapter today, Bezat Hashem, uh, where the Ramban is going to take us on the uh, you know, next part of this journey, completing the first step, the first chapter. And he's going to end it off by simply telling us the uh, five steps uh, that are required in order to achieve holiness in your uh, privacy between uh, you know a man and his wife now of course for anyone that has uh, watched the first six lectures uh, they uh, perhaps were uh, disappointed in some aspects if they had a dirty mind and they were looking for more filth if they've read the filthy books that are out there today that are uh, written by the, uh, the the criminals that we've discussed many times uh, you know the, the manises and the shmulis of the world these Amalek, uh, then of course, the, uh, if they were expecting to hear the filth that these people speak, uh, they're more likely to find it in a pornography film in a, or a magazine than they are to find it in a holy lecture. Because holiness and what these people discuss are a world apart. And you're going to see that magnified by a thousand today. Uh, simply because the issue is now going up a level and perhaps even 50 levels uh, and as I said, there's a reason why I am saying that this is the most difficult issue uh, we've ever discussed. And I think that anyone that sticks around for the lecture is uh, not only going to recognize that, uh, but also is going to uh, see how much we don't know, uh, how much uh, we, uh, we can do, uh, and quite frankly, how much uh, work we have uh, ahead of us. Now, in order for a person to achieve holiness, uh, first they have to learn about it. Now, in order to learn about it, a person has to remove as much of the filth that's humanly possible that they can from their mind. Because so long as a person continues to watch, you know, these movies that are on uh, television and uh, the, the shows and the public affection that people have and looks at immodesty and immorality and she looks at him and her and all of the things that people look at. And if you constantly are comparing yourself or want to compare yourself to celebrities and all types of uh, uh, public uh, criminals, uh, then it's going to be very difficult for a person to have any connection whatsoever uh, to these lectures because the, the, wor the, the things that are said are automatically going to give you filthy thoughts if you have a filthy mind. So, for example, we have in this week's parasha, as always, HaKadosh Baruch Hu designs the world in such a perfect way that whenever we have an issue, it's always in the weekly parasha. In this week's parasha, we have Avraham Avinu making a covenant with uh, his uh, uh, servant, with uh, Eliezer, telling him that he wants him to go find a wife for his dear son, uh, Yitzchak, and he wants him to swear to him 
that he's not going to bring, you know, bring him any woman from the Canaanite nations. Now, uh, Chazal tell us that Eliezer initially thought in his mind that perhaps Yitzchak can marry his daughter. Eliezer had a beautiful, wonderful daughter. Eliezer was a tzaddik, a kadosh, but he was still from the Canaanite nations. And he thought that perhaps maybe Avraham would, uh, was planning on having Yitzchak marry his daughter. And the uh, Chazal teaches us that Avraham tells Eliezer, as simple as can be and as brutal as can be to people that don't understand Kedusha, that uh, Eliezer, it's not possible for my son to marry your daughter because I am Baruch and you are Mekulal. You are, I am blessed and you are cursed. Now, of course, if Eliezer was one of these liberal, soft-minded uh, idiots of today, then he certainly would have taken these words to heart and ran away, and perhaps even filed some type of lawsuit against Avraham for abuse. But because Eliezer was a Ish Kadosh that you know, learned Torah from uh, Avraham Avinu, he understood that the words of Avraham are the words of God. This is what God told him. He is blessed. The Canaanite nations are cursed. And therefore, it's not a matter of liking or disliking. It's not a matter of agreeing or disagreeing. It's a matter of this is the will of Hashem. And Hashem does not will Am Yisrael to marry the Gentiles in any way, shape, or form. Uh, needless to say that he's not allowed to marry these Canaanite nations, even though she's a wonderful girl, she's a nice girl, she could be a pretty girl. It doesn't make a difference. Now, of course, in today's world, after Matan Torah, we have uh, a Kadosh Baruch who gave us a, uh, a special gift to the world where people can convert. Uh, and since we don't know who is uh, rem- anyone that's the remnants of Amalek or the Canaanite nations, then quite frankly, anybody out there that wants to be Jewish can become Jewish so long as they uh, accept the Jewish law. Uh, but in those days, you know, the, uh, there was a, uh, in essence... Avraham Avinu and his family, and then you had the Canaanite nations, you had the Ishmaelim and so on, but you had the uh, different people, but there was a seven nations of Canaan that HaKadosh uh, Baruch Hu cursed them because of what happened at the time of Noah, and absolutely under no condition is Avraham's uh, son, Yitzchak, allowed to marry any of them. Now, in order to make sure that Eliezer knows that this is not just something that's for him, but also for anybody else, he makes Eliezer swear. Swear to me that you're not going to bring my son uh, any Canaanite woman. Swear to me that you're going to follow my directions and so on. And the way that they make this vow is that the Torah says, uh, and It says, so the servant, this is referring to Eliezer, placed his hand under the thigh of Avraham, his master, and swore to him regarding this matter. So here we see, Rabotai, that uh, the, uh, anyone that understands it as a thigh has no real problem with this, uh, uh, with this uh, verse. But if you look at the Rashi, Rashi says uh, the Yerech is really referring to the Brit, that the, uh, the hand was actually put under the Brit of Avraham because it is uh, customary to put your uh, hand uh, in, uh, on a mitzvah, to hold a mitzvah when you're making a vow. And since Avraham Avinu's most uh, valuable mitzvah, his favorite mitzvah, and his first mitzvah that Hashem commanded him to do 
was the Brit Milah. This was most precious to him, and therefore he uh, he actually had uh, uh, um, he made the custom of actually swearing with the hand under the Brit. Now, this is actually something that has not uh, only stayed with Avraham. In fact, the Chizkuni, uh, approximately 800 years ago, he was one of the Chachamim of the uh, 12 uh, the 1200s. Uh, he actually writes that this uh, particular custom traveled to different nations, and even at the time that the Chizkuni was alive, he says that people in India still made vows this way. Now, of course, the uh, custom of, and the, the, the culture of India, uh, you know, as far as their uh, religion today, is a world apart of what it was back then. In fact, there used to be many Chachamim that actually lived in India, uh, that came from Baghdad and other places, but nonetheless, today the world is very different than it was back then. Either way, if a person has a clean mind, or at the very least, a uh, an innocent enough mind to know that if I don't understand what the Torah says and what the sages say, that's my lacking, is not the lackings of the Torah, then they can move on and they can proceed forward. But if a person has either an arrogant mind or a filthy mind or both, then they're simply going to harp on this particular picture over and over again and start, you know, having all types of weird, strange, simply disgusting thoughts of what this entails. Now, it entails exactly what I explained to you. It entails exactly what Rashi explained to you. There are some Chachamim that say, no, it was literally under the thigh, close to the Brit, and there are certainly Chachamim that say that it was under the Brit. But needless to say, one of the requirements that a person has in order to achieve Kedusha, in order to achieve uh, the, the holy intimacy and holiness in general, is to clean their mind. And there is no way that a person can have a clean mind if his eyes continue to dirty every day by looking at immorality and immodesty. Hence the reason why the Gemara in Masechet Avodah page 20b, says, Be careful of what you see in the morning so you don't arrive at evil at night. Evil referring to, you know, having the dreams that lead to all types of wasted seed, which is counted as a purposeful sin because you looked at the things that you were not supposed to on purpose. So a person that wants to achieve holiness has to understand that there's a process. It's not something that's done in one day. It's not something that's done in one week. But nonetheless, if a person sees themselves that when they hear these types of things from the Torah, whether it's about this particular deal between Avraham and uh, Eliezer, or other times that this type of uh, 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 statement or vow is made in the Torah, or other times in the Gemara where, you dis- where it discusses different issues regarding in- intimacy, regarding even the male member, and uh, certain uh, Chachamim that gave analogies in regards to the male member and so on. If a person thinks of, you know, disgusting things, uh, then of course they need to learn one thing from there, which is that they have not achieved holiness yet. Now, of course, everyone has to start somewhere. So just because you have disgusting thoughts, you have uh, provocative thoughts, doesn't mean you have to press stop and they'll go play some video game. But it's important for a person to know where they stand in order to know where they need to get to. Because if a person deludes themselves to think that they are already ready for everything, all they need is a few more shurim and they're going to become the next big baba, then of course, this is one of those shurim that is going to uh, hit everybody uh, with a uh, with a nice jab 
to remind us that there's a lot more to do now one of the things that uh, the Ramban also has taught us as far as the uh, as far as the act itself in regards to uh, achieving holiness is that it really all has to do with preparation if you want to achieve holiness you have to prepare if you want to have holy children you have to prepare and by preparing I don't mean you need to exercise I don't mean that you need to, uh, uh, you know, uh, take some type of uh, read books about it. I mean, you need to obviously prepare yourself spiritually because it's not a uh, uh, um, just bad luck or, or, or the, uh, the, the problem of the times that, uh, you know, many kids today are, uh, you know, born out of wedlock or born uh, from a nida or born with a, uh, an affinity for things that are forbidden, uh, you know, or, or, or all types of things. It's not a, uh, the, the generation today is the way it is simply because many people do not even understand that there is a ho- extraordinary holiness that can be achieved through the act of intimacy uh, between a man and his wife, while at the same time, there's an extraordinary level of impurity of sin that can be achieved through the same exact act it all depends on the preparation and what happens thereafter so now the ramban finishes off this section this chapter after telling us that if one wants to have righteous children that will sanctify the name of god uh you know he has to do certain things or if he wants to have wicked children who desecrate the name of god then obviously he would continue doing whatever he's doing that is against the shem and since it is so the ramban says you must understand that our sages what our sages meant when they say that a man must sanctify himself in the time of marital union so here we already see that in order for a person to achieve this holiness it is we've so far learned about how a person has to observe all of the obvious mitzvot that he already knows or she knows observing shabbat being modest uh not having a potty mouth uh you know being uh, uh, eating kosher food being kosher in business and so on and so forth so those acts are acts that are obvious because again if you're trying to achieve holiness you have to become holy and holiness is not achieved just through giving some money away for tzedakah or just because you have a certain last name or just because your father or your grandfather is a very holy person many people for whatever reason or another like to drop names of who their father is and their grandfather is and who their such and such is but they are forgetting that Esav also had a very holy brother father and grandfather but he still ended up going to Gehenom forever so having holy people in your family is good for them uh but you have to obviously achieve your own holiness and the reason why hashem made made it so that you'd watch this today versus anything else out there is simply because hashem wants you to achieve this holiness so the ramban says that it's about preparation and that preparation takes place before the marital union before a person uh, begins now of course there's the preparation before the actual you know the person is out and about at work out and about in shul out and about in the world but then there's the actual preparation of that particular day there's the preparation of that particular week there's a preparation there's a lot of different aspects of the preparation and a person needs to constantly do whatever they can 
to try to achieve holiness whenever they can they're not always going to succeed it's not necessarily going to be easy at all times or even ever but nonetheless if a person at least tries and wins sometimes that's already a lot to achieve so now i will define for you what is the nature of this sanctification which is divided into five parts which i describe as pathways here the ramban is going to give us the five parts the five steps uh that uh or in essence the five chapters uh of what sanctifying yourself entails when it's not everything we've already discussed during this chapter meaning the things that take place much closer to the act itself and in fact even the uh, uh moments before the act the first path the essence of the marital union the second path the time of the marital union this is of utmost importance you'd be surprised how important it is when a man and a woman are intimate and how significant it is as far as what out what outcome that intimacy has the third path is the proper diet prior to marital union what you should eat what you shouldn't eat before intimacy not just directly before it but even during that day perhaps even during that week and even in your life he's going to discuss this as well the fourth path the intent prior and during marital union what's on your mind what's on your mind now of course your average person is uh thinking about all types of things question is are those things relevant to his wife or are they relevant to somebody else's wife is what's on her mind relevant to her husband or relevant to somebody else's husband or relevant to somebody else's purse or relevant to somebody else's closet or relevant to somebody else's bank account and so on and so forth what's on your mind before and uh, uh and during the actual uh, union itself the yichud the fifth path the quality of the marital union this again has a lot to do with what outcome it has what outcome it has what kind of child a person was going to have and even what gender that child will be there are certain things that a person can do where if they want for example to have a boy there are certain things that a man can do in order to have a boy if they want a girl there's certain things you need to do in order to have a girl but it can again it this is all part of a all-encompassing system a person should take as much of it as they possibly can and now i'll proceed to explain each of those subjects in order to satisfy your desire your intention um and i will present each element in a dedicated chapter so these five steps that the ramban noted are going to be the titles if you will for the next five chapters now the key for us to understand is that achieving sanctification is not possible if a person does not know how to do it or even more so what it is in the Rashid Chochmah by Rabbi Eliyahu Vidas written approximately 
450 years ago or so, 500 years ago, around the same generation as Rabbi Yosef Karo, the, the Arizal. This Rashid Chochma, which I'm sure many of you have heard it being quoted, discussing Genom, Chibut Kever, but in reality, those two things are a small part of the Rashid Chochma. The Rashid Chochma is a uh, uh, extraordinary uh, work by one of the Gdolei uh, of previous generation that discusses how to achieve the ultimate Yichud with Hashem, how to achieve Kedusha, how to achieve Yirat Shemaim, fear of heaven, how to achieve Avat Hashem, real love of Hashem. Many people are confused about what love of Hashem is. They think that if they sing uh that uh you know hashem i love you or they have some type of bracelet on their hand or if they simply uh don't get into fights with anybody that doesn't disagree with them uh then that means that they love hashem and uh sometimes they even say no no we're chasidim and therefore we only talk about love that's what the lubavitcher rabbi taught us that it's uh, we don't have to fear we only have to love and quite frankly not only does this show a contradiction of the torah but also shows contradiction of their own Rebbe's teachings. As the Likute Sichot, uh, in uh, volume 15, page 118, uh, quotes the Lubavitch Rebbe saying that uh, in the, um, quotes the Zohar Kadosh in uh, page 284b, and he says that when it's talking about uh, this uh, verse, where uh, it says uh, in Sefer Bereshit, as a proof that I dug this well, it says that it's strangely, this well is called Yitzchak's well, Yitzchak Avinu's well. Why is it called Yitzchak Avinu's well? When really, Avram Avinu dug this well. Avram embodied the attribute of love of God, says the Lubavitch Rebbe, Whereas Yitzchak, his son, represented the fear of God. And in general, a Jew should endeavor to be Avraham's positive positive mode of loving God, continuing always in joyful divine worship. However, if a Jew possesses only love of God and no fear, then his divine service will not prevail. For inevitably, his love of God will degenerate into a love of other things. Whereas fear of God is required to preserve a person's love of God. So the well which Avraham Avinu dug did not prevail. Why didn't it prevail? It was filled in by the Philistines until Yitzchak Avinu redug it. And the Zohar is referring to them both as Yitzchak's well, since it was Yitzchak's fear that perpetuated Avraham's love. So here we see, Rabotai, that anytime you hear things that are contradicting the things that we quote in the Torah, always know that they're wrong. Not because we're always right, but simply because we quote what the sages said. We don't quote anything from our own hearts. If we quote things from our own hearts, it's relatively obvious, and we put no much, not much weight into it. But nonetheless, when you are one that wants to achieve Kedusha, you have to understand that there's going to be different barriers to entry. Sometimes those barriers are going to be false teachers. 
Sometimes those barriers to entry are going to be the inner inclinations that a person is already used to, the inner desires, the lusts, the yetzerah, the evil inclination that's in every single one of us. So know that even though none of us, some of us, whatever it may be, may not understand all of what we teach today or even most of it, this is, these are the tools that HaKadosh Baruch Hu provided us in order for us to use. And if a person looks at it from the right perspective, they'll learn how to use and they'll want to use these things, such as the example that Rav Ephraim uh, says, where he says, if the owner of a bank gave you a key to the safe, he told you, take whatever you want. Now, you don't have anything on you. You don't have any bags. You don't have any tools. You don't have anything. Now, if you are aware of the benefit and the gift that you just got, you'll figure out a way to take whatever you can. Even though you don't have the ideal situation, you don't have the few sacks, maybe some people to help you to take all of the billions of dollars that are in this safe. You don't have it. But that doesn't mean you're just going to leave the bank and say, listen, I don't have anything, I don't want anything. Only a stupid person will do that or a person that simply doesn't believe the owner of the bank really has any money in this place and he thinks it's a trap. Well, the keys to understand is the Torah is not a trap. The Torah is the treasure of all treasures. And if a person looks at it from the right perspective, even if certain things seem implausible, seem difficult, uh, simply you don't understand what they're even talking about, know this. All of it is for you. All of it is something that you can do. And even if that's not today, certainly it's something that you may be able to achieve sometime the road. So it's good to learn that now. It's good to already know that this is available now. So the Rashid Chochma brings us some more details about the sanctity, the holiness that is actually achieved through the act itself and how a person is really supposed to view the act of intimacy between man and wife. And he brings the Zohar Kadosh, he quotes the Zohar Kadosh, the Gemara, uh, here. And uh, I'll try to read it in the translated words and then uh, in, the, uh, in the Hebrew words because there's Aramaic here. And then also uh, translated to English, Be'ezrat Hashem. So the Rashid Chochmah says, in regards to the holiness of the unity and the intention behind it, that uh, the Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai elaborated or clarified it in the Tikkuni Zohar. The uh, people that are familiar with the Zohar, there's the uh, uh, Zohar and there's also the Tikkuni Zohar. The Tikkuni Zohar has some of the... Uh, most extraordinary secrets in it and this is where this is discussed and he quotes the Tikkuni Zohar this is in uh, uh, by the way in Rashid Chochma this is in Sha'ar Kedusha Sha'ar Kedusha in the 16th Perek and the Tikkuni Zohar that's being quoted is Tikkuni Zohar uh, 25.1 Tikkuni Zohar uh, 10.25.1 so he says, So 
כן הזיווג צריך שיהיה בחשאי. זה לשונה. So, רבי שמעון בר יוחאי says, in regards to the intimacy between a man and his wife, a woman and a husband, it's supposed to look like the Amidah prayer, Tfilat Shmona What does it mean it has to look like Amidah prayer? Our sages taught us, just like when a person prays their Amidah, this is the part of the prayer that we, this is the prayer that we pray three times a day. It's the key part of the prayer. It's the one that you stand and you're quiet the whole time and you focus on, on Hashem and what you're actually reading. You're not supposed to be thinking about your stock portfolio or what happened at work today. You're supposed to be thinking about your unity with Hashem at that moment. And of course, sometimes we achieve it and sometimes we don't. We're all uh, people after all. But nonetheless, if a person achieves the best prayer they could ever achieve, everyone has had one of those prayers where it was something out of this world, they truly felt connected to God, perhaps they even started crying, they became emotional. This is what intimacy is supposed to be. It's supposed to be that deep, but even more so than this, the behavior itself of the Amidah is the first thing that Rabbi Shimon Ba Yochai is referring to, which is that the Shmona just like the Shmona is done quietly, as if it's in secret, whatever you're saying, only you yourself can hear it and God himself, and that's it. No one else is supposed to hear what you're saying. If you're saying the Amidah out loud, loud enough for other people to hear it, that's not viewed in a positive way. In fact, the Gemara says, sounds like you are either a uh, Baal Gava, yeah, you're an arrogant person, or you have no Emunah that Hashem can hear you even if you whisper. You're supposed to say it loud enough just for your ears to hear. Bechashai means like in secret. So the intimacy is being compared to this. It's supposed to be as if in secret. Now, then... He brings the um, elaboration on this, and he says, "Ba'et she'em be'ichud echad, tzichim Yisrael la'amod betfila bechashai." When they are connecting, unifying with Hashem. Am Yisrael is supposed to stand with their prayer as if, but in, in a way that it's as if it's in secret. Vesod Adavar, and this is in essence, this is the, uh, uh, this is the actual secret of the, of the prayer itself, that it's a, your, uh, your prayer is, a, uh, is, is going to yield certain things that it wouldn't be able to yield had it been out loud. In fact, it would be the opposite. Okay. 
And he says that when it comes to the intimate act that is being compared to the Amida prayer, if it's treated in the same fashion, as if it's in secret, as if it's in a uh, a place that's removed and a thought process, a whole thing that's a, uh, removed from everything else and not part of everything else, needless to say, not a public affair, the ultimate goal that this is supposed to yield, that it's, go- it's supposed to awaken the 18 blessings that will impact her as we learn from the prophet Yechizkel. Now we're going to open the prophet Yechizkel. It's quoted in chapter 1, verse 24. Yechizkel says, he's at this time, he is having a prophecy. He's seeing what is happening in Shemaim. And he says, I heard the sound of their wings, like the sound of great waters, like the sound of Shaddai, as they moved, the sound of a commotion, like the sound of a camp. When they would halt, they would release their wings. So the angels typically sang, made sounds when they were flying, where that sound that they made was actually the way that they sung to Hashem. They would sing to Hashem through the sound. They would make music with their wings. And the Chachamim here say that in this verse, Yechezkel teaches us that there is a time where the angels and all of the singing and all of the uh, uh, the uh, things that they happen on a normal basis stop. When? When they stand and their wings stop. From there we learn that just like they were quiet, we are supposed to be quiet. Why? What's the connection between this and this? Says this. This. Um, prophecy that Yechezkel is giving us is not just of any ordinary angels, but rather the Chayot. What is the Chayot? The Rambam, about 850 years ago, in his Mishneh Torah, or it's also called Yad Chazaka, in Ilchot Yesodea Torah, he gives us the different aspects of the creation 
In Allah number three, he says that everything which the Holy One, blessed be He, created within His world is divided into three categories. First, creations which are a combination of matter and form. They're constantly coming into existence and ceasing to exist. For example, the bodies of man and beasts, plants and metals. Two, creations which are also a combination of matter and form, but they do not change from body to body and from form to form, as do those in the first category. Here, by the way, the Rambam is a uh, hinting towards the reincarnation and uh, other uh, things that happen with a uh, body. Rather, their form is permanently fixed in their matter, and they do not change as others do. For example, the spheres and the stars which revolve in them. The matter from which they are composed differs from a simple conception of matter, and their form differs in a simple conception of form. The third creation is creations which have form, but no matter at all. For example, the angels. For the angels do not possess bodies or corporal beings, but rather are forms which are separate from each other. So we see that there are, in essence, three different types of creations in the world. And the angels are a creation of its own. In Alakha number seven, the Rambam elaborates further and tells us about the angels. It says there are different names with which the angels are called and they reflect their spiritual levels. This, by the way, means that since each one of these spiritual entities have nothing separating them but their spiritual level, the separation between them is absolute. And the difference in them is that the higher level one provides life and energy which maintains the existence of the lower level. In this manner, the divine life force descends from the transcendent spiritual level to the point that it can bring into being and give life to material existence. So the sages taught us about how Hashem has an infinite number of camps of angels, each one representing different spiritual quality. You have the highest level of angels, which are actually called the holy, which are the holy chayot. These chayot are described in by Yechezkel that we just talked about in chapter 1, verse 14. And they're termed chayot because they're, in essence, they are life energy. And they provide, in essence, the uh, energy that Hashem is giving them in order to give to the next level. Because the way of God is, in essence, where He takes energy, gives it to one level, that gives it to another level, that gives it to another level, and so on and so forth. So the highest level of angels is the holy chayot. The others are called, uh, second one is ofanim, then is erelim, chashmalim, srafim, malachim, elohim, sons of elohim, 
Kruvim and Ishim. This, by the way, is also an answer for all of these uh, people that uh, are confused or want to be confused and like to remain confused about when they see the words Elohim in the Torah and uh, they think that maybe this means that there is more than one God or there's an angel above God, Shalom, or anything like that. This simply just shows the ignorance of people that if they simply looked at what the sages teach, that the word Elohim can mean multiple things. Sometimes it is referring to Hashem. Sometimes it actually could even be referring to an idol. Sometimes it could be referring to an angel. Sometimes it could be referring to a certain position, a person that's a, in a position of power, such as a king or, 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 or someone that's uh, important. So the a person that uh, uh, looks at things from the uh, narrow and uh, ignorant and heretical uh, perspective of the Christians and the others out there is always going to uh, go and end up in a uh, well that uh, only has snakes and scorpions in it, but no water. But a person that looks at it from the holy words of the sages will always find an answer to any question they can possibly come up with. Because whatever you come up with as far as a question, certainly the sages have come up with it and have answered it time and time again over the years. So here, the important aspect of knowing the, uh, the, the verse here from Yechezkel and how it's connecting to intimacy is that he's telling us that we learn from the holy chayot that when as, as much as they uh, create beautiful music and sounds to sing to Hashem, there is a time that they stop, there is a time that there is quiet, and from there we learn that that's a, a moment of, of yichud, it's a moment of intimacy, if you will, that uh, our connection, that, uh, that's a significant step that we are supposed to emulate, that when we are uh, uh, intimate, we also have to be quiet. Now, more about that is going to be discussed later on, but this is again where each and every aspect of these holy teachings is coming is coming from. It's not coming from the thoughts of a uh, regular people or philosophical thoughts. Of course, everything has you know different Torah sources and teachings that have been uh, part of our tradition throughout the generations. Now, why is this the case? Why is the uh, uh, why is there such a significance in regards? to uh, 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 having uh, quiet. She'en tzarich lishmoa kol bedugmat chana she'neemar ba says that there's no, uh, uh, the way, where the place that we learn that uh, uh, you don't need to make a sound. You don't need to be loud. You don't need to be uh, 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 doing things that uh, apparently society teaches people to do. You don't need to make all this sound and all of the uh, uh, yelling and screaming in order for you to achieve the goal. Just like we learned from Chana. Who is Chana? In the book of Samuel, chapter 1, Verse 1. I'm sorry, uh, uh, Book of Samuel 1, chapter 1, verse 13. We hear about how Hannah is a righteous woman. 
that is crying to HaKadosh Baruch Hu at the Bet HaMikdash because despite being married for some time, despite being righteous, despite doing everything she possibly could, she's not able to have a child. And she goes to the Bet HaMikdash and she cries to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, so much so that when the Kohen Caesar Aliyah Kohen Caesar, he thinks she's drunk. Why? Because she's standing like this and she's crying and you can't and she's moving her lips, but you can't hear what she says. So Eli thought, oh, maybe she's Shikora, maybe she's drunk, she's talking to herself or something. But in reality, she was praying to Akadosh Bahu and the Gemara in Masechet Brachot, page 30 says from her, from Chana, from the holy Chana, who later on became the mother of Shmuel. Shmuel was Kodesh Kodeshim, Navi, say, uh, uh, it was Shmuel Bedoro, ke, uh, Moshe and Aaron Bedoro, Shmuel was like uh, both uh, uh, Moshe and Aaron in his generation. Uh, not that he was bigger than Moshe and Aaron combined, but in his generation he was as if, as if he was both in his generation. So Chana ended up being his mother. She gave birth to this holy person. And from her we learn how to pray Amida, how to pray to Hashem, where you pray to Hashem, you move your lips, but you don't make a sound. Not enough for anybody else to hear, only you yourself to hear. And Chachamim to debate it, what if he doesn't say it with any sound at all, that even he can't hear himself, is it still valid, does he have to do it again? I mean, you say it's still valid, but it's better that you could hear it yourself. Nonetheless, the, the verse here says, that a voice is not heard. Despite her praying and crying and connecting and unifying uh, our, our neshama with our Creator, can't hear anything. Can't hear anything. From her, we learn how to pray. And again, there's a constant comparison between prayer and the uh, intimate act between a man and his wife. Because this is, while the uh, prayer, the Amidah specifically, is the way that there is a zivug, if you will, or unifying our neshamot with the heavenly world, and the time for zivug in this lower world is when a man is with his wife. Meaning that the highest level of holiness that a person can achieve with the upper world is through prayer. That's with the heavenly world. But the highest level of spirituality they can achieve from the physical world that we're here is actually through the intimate act. That's how high and how significant the intimate act can get to. Now, he then elaborates and says, And says, in this way, just like the angels, this, the uh, the chayot, uh, and just like Hana, they were quiet, the angels were quiet when they 
stopped with their wings Chana was quiet when she was praying from there we learn this is how a person is supposed to be during their intimacy and there are six midot that a person is supposed to attain during in order for them to achieve this holiness in their intimacy it's supposed to be bechashai be'anava be'ima be'retet be'ziyah or be'kisuyah be'busha says it's a bechashai like we said it's in secret anava is like humility e'ima have the uh, fear of the almighty busha is to have uh, shame these in essence by the way are the um six attributes or six uh, uh, midot that a person is supposed to have in front of his creator at all times in front of his creator at all times he's supposed to have these types of thoughts he's always supposed to uh be a uh uh, humble in fear of hashem uh have shame before his creator and so on this is what a person is supposed to have as as before that intimate act before he prepared before he gets into before she gets into that intimate act rather than today unfortunately what people do is obviously i don't have to tell you is literally the exact opposite of everything that i'm teaching where they get themselves all crazied up watching all types of things thinking of all types of things sometimes after they've destroyed themselves enough it's not enough to think about it before they even uh, uh, think about it during they watch things during and when that's not enough that taboo is not enough they do other things and the road to hell has many many steps this rabutai is the, uh, 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 the the path that we want to get to the highest level of unity with Hashem also has many many steps but nonetheless it is attainable for anyone that's actually interested in, in in getting themselves to that point so from here we see again i'm going to also address what the alacha is later on as far as technically everything is allowed so what do i need this for i i could barely even have this type of focus when i am praying needless to say when i'm actually intimate what uh, what do i need all this all of those thoughts that everybody has We'll address those as well, Beis Hashem. So the Rashi Tchuma continues, and he says you're supposed to have these six midot in preparation for that intimate act. And where do we learn this from? Moshe Pirshu Akadmonim. This is what we learned from the Chazal, where in the Gemara. Masechet Nedarim, page 20b. What do we learn in the Gemara? Masechet Nedarim, page 20b. Perhaps one of the most extraordinary stories that shows the power of a holy woman and how much she can achieve as well as the power of a holy man. The Gdol Adol at the time was Rabbi Eliezer ben Holkinos, also known as Rabbi Eliezer Agadol. He was the rabbi of Rabbi Akiva. 
the Nasiya door was Rabban Gamliel. Rabban Gamliel. He's also giant Kodesh Kodeshim, one of the descendants of David Melech. Rabban Gamliel had a sister. And she married Rabbi Eliezer Agadol. And they lived the life, and they had children. And they called her Ima Shalom. Ima, like mother, peace. And this Ima Shalom was once approached and asked a very interesting question. How are your children exceedingly beautiful? Meaning all of your children are above and beyond the norm. Both within and out. Now, of course, you can say if somebody had two kids, both ended up being handsome, pretty, combination thereof. Okay, great. You have seven, ten kids. All of them are beautiful. Anyone that has ever even had kids knows that usually doesn't necessarily work out so much. Some people look like this, some people look like that, some people look like that one, some people, we're not really sure what they look like, but they're still family. You know, everybody has their own beautiful gifts that Hashem gives them. But if you see a whole family where every kid is something out of this world beauty, one is more beautiful than the next, but not only in physical beauty, but also spiritual beauty. Each one of them is glued to God. Each one of them wants to serve Hashem nonstop. Each one of them is a Baal Chesed, wants to give, wants to help, wants to do all. Every one of them is a tzaddik. So, I mean, this is not, this is an anomaly. This is not a normal thing. Anyone that has a big family, you see a family, 5, 10, 15 kids, you know that some kids are stronger than the others, some kids are closer to uh, Torah than others, some are smarter, some are less, some this, some that. You know, there's differences, just like your fingers are different. People are different, just like your faces are different. People are different. But here in this family of Rabbi Eliezer ben Haokinos and his dear wife, Ima Shalom, everyone noticed. The whole community, the whole nation noticed this is something different. Everybody's beautiful in a way that we've never seen before. It's like everyone looks like Yosef Tzadik. How? How do you do? What, what happened here? What do you do? What do you eat? What do you, what's going on here? So Ima Shalom, that was a very holy woman, answered them. She told them, my husband converses with me neither at the beginning of the night nor at the end of the night. What does it mean he converses with me neither at the beginning of the night nor at the end of the night? This is the clean language of the holy people. They don't say, oh, we are together, uh, we have that word that people use, uh, or words that people use, oh, we had this and we did that. No, no, no. He converses with me. Neither at the beginning of the night, nor at the end of the night. But only at midnight. Meaning, my husband is only with me at a specific time. Specific time. It's not early in the night, and it's not too late. 
it is a specific time meaning we already see from here we're going to learn a lot more about it than one of the chapters in the uh the Ramban how much weight Hashem puts on the specific time of day for the act of intimacy between a man and his wife and what results that will yield a man that is intimate with his wife during the day has a very serious problem he may have some I don't know some uh, bull come out of there he may have some uh you know some uh coming out of over there why you're not supposed to have intimacy during the day unless there's a uh, major exception made but the point is it's not supposed to be during the day it's not supposed to be during the day it's a very big problem why it's for, for, for a lot of reasons which we'll discuss another time I don't want to get into it now also if he just does it uh, just listen he just got home from work seven eight nine o'clock yalla let's go also no good why this is not the auspicious time in the heavenly bedin what what do you you mean the heavenly bedin cares about when me and my wife are together yes they do yes simple 100 percent okay you know what we'll go out we'll have a good time have a few drinks party we'll come back when we come back two three four o'clock in the morning after having a blast then that's okay too heavenly bodies okay with that they like uh, what the 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 late night sleepers what's with them no 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 that's a problem too what do you mean i can't do it when i get home from work i can't do it after we go out come back at two three o'clock in the morning why why do they care they care why there's an auspicious time to fulfill this act is an auspicious time to achieve yichud both with the heavenly world as well as the world we live in so Ima Shalom says we're together at a specific time in the middle of the night and when he converses again the clean language of the tzaddikah he reveals a tefach and covers a tefach and it seems to him as though he was forced by a shed a demon and I asked him the reason why why do you do it this way and he says to me so that I don't set my eyes on another woman because then the children will be considered close to being mamzerim what does all of this mean what does all of this mean so we see that first and foremost this tzaddikah doesn't talk like the girls of today let's just say it that way unfortunately today women it's like a uh they start talking and i'm not sure what's worse the sewer or the words that are coming out of their mouth the way that women express themselves especially when they're only among women and again i'm not even referring to secular women that's already a disaster and a half you know they're poor people they're miskinim what can we do this uh, hopefully they'll do chuva hopefully they watch the shield and realize that the uh a lady doesn't speak like a uh like someone that just came out of a prison for mexico but nonetheless this is the world we live in today what i'm referring to are unfortunately the conversations that i have been made aware of from different communities both in israel america and others that take place among women only there's no men there 
and how they talk to each other and what topics they choose to talk about and strangely enough they feel like whatever happens in their bedroom is perfectly fine to be discussed among all of their girlfriends and then people are surprised why there's so much unhappiness in their houses and needless to say why there's so much adultery and all types of other issues but nonetheless we see that the the way that people talk is very different than the way that Ima Shalom talks she is referring to the act in the most modest possible way she's saying oh when he talks to me and when he talks to me she says when he converses with me he reveals one tefach and covers one tefach meaning that it's all in modesty what is all this modesty we're together in the world today people want to emulate the filth they saw on a screen I had one poor guy miskin thought he was religious and uh probably still thinks he's religious and one time he comes to me and he tells me I have a uh problem with my wife what's the problem he says ah she's boring so in my I don't know I guess naive mind I thought okay so you know maybe you should learn a shield to out with her so you guys could learn together and uh you'll have something to talk about maybe you work you're in business all day you're buying I don't know buildings or cars or whatever it is that you buy all day and sell and she's home she's with the kids so perhaps she doesn't have as interesting of a life as you so watch a shield to out with her together and that way you'll have more to talk about and she'll be more interesting no rabbi not that not that interesting not, not that boring what other boring is there no she's boring in the bedroom rabbi never heard that before in my life what do you mean what does that even mean and he starts telling me about oh listen she just wants to do this so I said to him okay what's the problem I'm still not figuring I'm still not understanding I'm, I'm usually a pretty understanding person I mean I'm not exactly uh I wasn't born yesterday I mean I've seen the world what are you talking about and he starts telling me about all the things that she does and I'm not finding an issue with it so I tell him okay so what do you want and within literally six words that came out of his mouth after that I told him okay I got the point 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 stop please please I'm still doing tshuva right now stop 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 I had to go dip in a mikveh after this conversation why he wants his wife to be like one of these filthy disgusting pornography people that he saw on some screen that's what he wants so because she's not mrs gymnast he considers her boring and of course I yelled at him I told him you're an idiot that this is what you want in your life why but rabbi didn't you say you're allowed in this I'm like allowed but nobody told you to 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 just because you're allowed you you're supposed to do it and just because this I mean you're understanding that even the things you watch are not real like you want your wife to give birth to your kids to do these things well what's the problem I just want it it's not I talked to him several times I tried to help him several times and then he gave me one day and he came to me and he thought that uh he uh 
was going to bring a chidush. So what did he do? He didn't listen to any of my advice. And uh, one day, he comes and I ask him, oh no, he comes to one of the shoes and I ask him, so uh, how's everything? Ah, not so good right now. What, what, what happened? I tried to do something and it didn't really work out so much. So what, 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 what exactly? What, 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 what didn't work out? Did you tell your wife to watch you went to well with you? Did you do anything that I said? No, no, I tried something else. So what'd you try? Oh, I told her the truth. Hashem I started praying to myself, please Hashem, don't let me think don't don't let what I think he said to actually be what he said. Don't let him be as stupid as I think he is. Don't let me please, please. I'm praying to myself, and then you know, as I'm praying, he see blurts out the words and he says, Yeah, I told her she's boring. And she wasn't happy. I said, yeah, prepare for a divorce. She's never going to touch you again. And you're going to get divorced very soon. No, Rabbi, no, she'll get over it. I'll buy her a watch or something. I'll do this. I said, no, 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 you're not understanding. You just murdered your wife. You may not realize it, but you murdered one of God's daughters. You murdered your wife. You murdered the someone's daughter you murdered a uh, 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 israel um you're a criminal that's what you are you're a criminal and he didn't really like this so much but um you know such is life and unfortunately this was one of the times that i was right because it wasn't maybe a month or two after that that she left him and they got divorced why because people have a perverted mind and therefore they think that uh, that uh, the uh, the way that their mind has been destroyed is what is in essence their, uh, uh, their, their that that's what their, becomes their instruction set so here Rabotai Ima Shalom is telling us that modesty during the Yihu during the intimate act between a man and his wife is of extraordinary importance and she says that one of the things about our husband is that he wasn't only particular about the time but he was even more particular and above and beyond the norm in regards to the intimacy as far as the 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 um the modesty during the act meaning that the only part that would need to be uh, uh uncovered was uncovered now of course we're going to read later on more elaborate it's this is what what she's referring to is under the covers under the covers because when a man is with uh, his wife they're supposed to be covered by some blanket or sheet or whatever they want under that there's no clothes in fact the Gemara says that if she refuses to take off her clothes uh then he could divorce her this we'll get into later on uh, but they're supposed to be a uh, completely without clothes under the covers. Uh, but here we see that Rabbi Eliezer ben Okinos was above and beyond. Above and beyond the norm, even when it pertains to what's necessary as far as modesty. And ben, then she throws a confusing statement and she says that uh, he would act as if he was controlled by a shed, which translates to demon and I asked him why and he says because this is the way that uh, I, I want to make sure that I don't set my eyes on other women 
What does all this mean? What does all this mean? Rabbi Eliezer teaches his wife that all of the things that we learn and much more, that there's not only a specific time, but there's a specific way. And modesty is not necessarily just with clothing, but also with sounds, with place, and uh, uh, the way things are. And one of the reasons why quiet is of utmost importance is because, and also the time of the day is of utmost importance, is because Rabbi Eliezer teaches us that if you're not quiet, it's very possible for you to cause other people to hear you. And that's a very serious problem. Because if they hear you, they'll have thoughts that are inappropriate. And in fact, if you do it at any particular time during the day, when everyone is awake, you can hear them. And if you hear them while you're intimate, you could have thoughts of them. And Rabbi Eliezer says, if I have thoughts of a different woman, because, you know, it's, she's laughing right outside of our window, and I'm thinking of her, it's as if I was with her, and the kids are going to be like their mamzerim. Or if you hear somebody, some guy, he's talking, and he's outside of our window, or he's outside of our house, and we hear, and you're thinking of him while you're with me, if the kid is like a mamzer, like a child that's, out, that's, not, uh, that's forbidden, because he's uh, in, you know inappropriate relationship, a, a, a forbidden relationship. As if you were with that man, or I was with that woman, Chazmah Shalom. So the modesty is not necessarily just the covering aspect of it, but also pertaining to the time, pertaining to the sound. But still we need an explanation. What does it mean you do all of this as if you're controlled by a demon? The word demon is spelled with a sheen dalit. Ima Shalom says, my dear husband, he is operating like a sheen dalit, but representing the sheen dalit and yud, meaning Hashem, El Shakai. That in essence, this Shindalit is not really referring to a demon, but rather referring to Hashem, meaning that he's aware of Hashem at all times, before, during, and after the intimate act. Now, the Rashid Chuchma continues. And he says, that if a person follows these humble ways, holy ways, you know, being uh, quiet, uh, doing with with, uh, humility, with fear of the Almighty and awe, with uh, modesty, uh, 
and so on. This is the Shabbatozman Mistalek Minashar Vezeusod says that this is the this will help him achieve the uh, uh, entering the gate, and this is the uh, uh, the uh, the secret of the mezuzah. Vedaraza the mezuzah de itamarba. This is the secret of the mezuzah that uh, that the Torah in uh, Sefer Dvarim, chapter uh, Deuteronomy, chapter six, verse nine, says, "Uktavtem al mezuzot betecha," that the mezuzah is something that you uh, you uh, the Torah says that you have a mezuzah in uh, you know in each of your doors in your house, and the secret of the mezuzah you'll notice that the mezuzah has the uh, the shin dalit yud on it. But furthermore, the Tikkunei uh, Zohar says the mezuzot k'tiv zav mavit that the uh, the uh, sages teach us that the, uh, uh, the the letters of the word mezuzot is uh, spells out zav mavit that the uh, um, which is in essence a uh, kabbalistic way where this is a going to uh, a move, as uh, as move move uh, 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 death bring life. That this intimacy would actually bring life. Vim uh, but if they disregard this. And they're noisy during their uh, intimate act. Venishma kolo, they hear his or her voice. The Torah says in uh, the uh, Sefer Bereshit in Genesis chapter four verse seven, lapetach atat rovitz. Lapetach atat rovitz. What's lapetach atat rovitz? When Cain and Abel brought sacrifices to Hashem. Abel brought the best sacrifice and Hashem accepted it Cain brought the worst sacrifice more or less he brought garbage to Hashem whatever he didn't want and Hashem rejected it so Cain was very upset so Hashem told him why are you so annoyed surely if you improve yourself you'll be forgiven but if you do not improve yourself, la sin rest at your door. What does it mean? Sin rest at your door. The Sforno says that if a person continues their evil, uh, following their their yetzera, their evil inclination, then punishment and evil is going to be uh, uh, next to them, just as if they were sitting at their doorstep their whole time. So the Mekubalim are telling us here that if she's quiet like Ima Shalom, then this is the secret to bring the uh, life to the world. On the other hand, if she's noisy or he's noisy, which is a sign of immodesty to say the least, 
then the sin is, is laying at their door meaning that the uh problems is all the things that they, that's what they're going to get out of that whether it's problem having children a problem with the children they do have and uh more and more the uh and also this shows that this person is katane mana that the person that uh is noisy has small level of emunah in god small level of faith in god and it's not for nothing that the sages taught us this from the gemara in maseret brachot page 24b that says that anyone that's praised the amidah out loud certainly you could be sure that this person has no emunah in god why he's praying out loud thinking that god can't hear him if he prays quietly like he's supposed to so just like we learn the prayer and the way you're supposed to pray and connect to hashem in the heavenly world through your prayer and that is compared to the intimate act the same is done with the intimate act itself where you're supposed to be quiet during the prayer and that shows your faith in god you're supposed to be quiet during the intimate act that shows your faith in god if you're allowed during your prayer certainly you don't have faith in god needless to say if you speak in the bed knesset and you care less and you don't even keep and you don't even say all the words you just skip around you joke around certainly you're not very different than an atheist but uh, same concept happens if a person says ah come on no noisy no noisy god doesn't care it's okay i do whatever i want loud obnoxious and all types of things if the neighbors complain they complain type of mindset okay that obviously shows you care less about god because you don't believe in him that's in essence what the chachamim are teaching here now Furthermore, the Rashid Chokhmah brings more, and he brings a very deep lesson that we learn from Shira Shirim. For those of you that were looking for a provocative shiul by the title that it got, you're not going to learn. You're now going to learn why the title is what the title is, where it says. Shlomo Melech says in the uh, Shira Shirim, Song of Songs, chapter 1, verse 2. May he kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. Yishakeni menishikot piu. Now, of course, all of the writings are holy. The Song of Songs is holy of holies. And the whole Song of Songs is Shlomo Melech telling us about the Yichud between Hashem and Am Yisrael. So of course the verses are not taken literally. This is all talking about the relationship between Am Yisrael and God, the receiving of the Torah, the uh, uh, love of Hashem, and so on. But there are verses here that their literal meaning are used in different ways to understand different parts of the Torah. And Rabbi Eliyahu Vidas in the Rashid Chochman says, 
from the verse Yishakeni Minishikot Piu that may he kiss me with his uh, uh, kisses of his uh, of his mouth. What is this? Mayinishikot Piu. What is this? Kisses of his mouth. What is this talking about? Beotosman Shemit Yachdim at the time that the husband and wife are intimate, they're together. His two lips and her two lips, when they connect, they are the equivalent of the four wings of the chayot. Remember what I said, the chayot are the highest level of angels. So in the Kabbalah world, when a husband and a wife are kissing, this is an opportunity to achieve an extraordinarily high level of holiness. Why? If the kiss is on a cheek, then the other persons, although the one person is connecting, is intimate, the person that's receiving their mouth is free to do whatever it is that they want to do, whether it's to eat or speak or sing or whatever it is that they want to do so it's not a complete unification between the two but when the two are together this achieves a high level of intimacy that if done right where the thoughts of the two people are clean clean from the filth clean from thinking about other people clean from thinking about things that are inappropriate or it's just not the right time it's not the time to think about work it's not the right time to think about the kids it's not the right time to think about your bills it's not the right time to think about somebody else whether it be another man or another woman or whatever crazy thoughts that people have if the people's minds are clean and they're really truly unifying their lips connecting is 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 in becoming the equivalent in the upper worlds like the four wings of the chayot Where it says in Yechezkel, in uh, Ezekiel uh, again, chapter one, verse six, that uh, the uh, the angels have these four wings. And when is um he says that at that moment when the uh his face connects with hers and his four limbs you know his uh, arms and legs and her lips and her arms and legs in essence everything connects it's now capable of achieving something that they're not capable to achieve alone where it's like the four faces of the chayot that each one of them Yechezkel said 
each one had four faces and each one had four wings what is this four faces and four wings what is this really representing these are the two names two holy names of Hashem one is the Yud K Vav K the Yud and the Hey and the Vav and the Hey you're not allowed to say them uh, uh, t- together and the way that's pronounced in this world is not the way that it's really said the way that it's really said sounds similar to the, the Havaya but it's not Havaya where the way it is says is it says like with the uh, a D uh, Amunai instead of the MM you say uh, D so now when the husband and the wife achieve this unique moment of intimacy it is now considered as if they are combining these two holy names of God and this is a unique name of God that's combined that is spelled Yud and the Aleph and the Hey and the Dalit and the Vav and the Nun and the Hey and the Yud and this unique Yichud if somebody knew how to do it they not only need to do the Yichud and think about it but it's also do certain things and certainly they need to be fit spiritually to do it because if they are not spiritually fit they can get hurt severely but the point being is is that this act that until now could have simply been just another day just another thing what's the big deal could literally achieve the ultimate yichud that a person could achieve but instead of it being through mastering the huge part of the torah or 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 or, or i don't know perhaps uh, getting a gift like maybe the the angel gabriel is going to become your chavuta like he was with the prophet daniel no you could literally use your spouse to achieve this yichud with god something that of course the secular world and needless to say the idolatrous world christianity and the like have no concept of because to them intimacy is purely an act of animals for animals by animals even though they are themselves the animals now this particular yichud the 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 name that i'm talking about this is not something just as a warning this is not something you think about when you're actually intimate because when you're intimate you're not supposed to think about this specific names it's it's, it's not the appropriate time supposed to think about your wife or your husband not uh about this uh, the name of god this is all something that a person can prepare for before the act to the point that when the actual act happens and the lips are together and the four limbs and arms you know everybody's together that could achieve a very high level of unification with with Hashem and it's like a uh, it's like somebody is given a terminal 
and there's a bunch of buttons on it and person says well listen it's a lot of buttons what do you want me to do says to you you can do whatever you want okay what does this do what do these buttons do says this button controls all the traffic lights in the country oh wow so if I press this button all the traffic lights go on if I press this uh other button all the traffic's lights go off exactly what does this other button do this controls all the radars you know that they need at the airports army and so on wow so if i press this button whoever is in the air hoping to find a airport has to uh get better glasses because that radar is not working if i press the button exactly what about this button this button is the internet one turns it off one turns it off oh so you mean if i press this there's no more google no no more uh no more internet nope maybe a good idea okay what other buttons and he keeps showing you all types of buttons that are very very powerful buttons now a person can say oh listen it's too much for me I don't want it I don't know what's going on and walk away or a person could say you know what there's a lot of responsibility but the same token this this is worth a lot this is extremely valuable I can do a lot of things with this the same concept of what we're learning now it certainly seems like some of these things are far away from where we stand we have to be realistic with ourselves but we also have to know that these are big buttons and they're available to us if we choose to press or not press meaning the button works in both aspects if you press it and it's the button to turn things on you can reach a very high level of holiness and unification with god if you press the other button which means being promiscuous being obnoxious being immodest immoral and so on and so forth like society in so many words then that's the other button that's the button that creates tragedy creates problems creates accidents creates problematic uh, life and so on and so forth either way know that the buttons are in front of you whether you press or you don't press the right button that's up to you but you should know that whether you press the right button or you don't press the right button it doesn't end over there because if you choose not to press the right button it's not like oh you have a coast clear go back to your life as if everything is okay you are aware now that when you don't press the good button or at the very least try to figure out the good button that means that you're more likely pressing the wrong button the button that turns off the traffic lights and causes accidents the button that causes the internet to go down and therefore certain things don't go through the button that causes the radars to shut down and therefore causes causes all types of tragedies lack of clarification lack of understanding lack of communication and most importantly 
crashes and divorces and so on so either way those set of buttons were with you before this year today it's just that today perhaps you were made more aware of it that it's there and its capabilities on both ends the Rashid Chochmah continues and he says he quotes the Zohar Kedosh Parashat Vayit Hanan, page 269a and he says what does Beshachbecha mean what is the uh that uh, you serve Hashem it says in the Shema Yisrael that uh, you have to uh, uh say the Shema you have to when you're uh, going when you're laying down what is all what is this laying down part what is this says when you're laying down what Hashem is trying to teach you is that you're supposed to do it that when you are laying down meaning when you are intimate with your spouse it must be in holiness and in humility that she should never forget that the creator is above you because then you would be considered like you're a you're a um rude Chatsuf, uh, probably the Chatsuf is a uh, more obnoxious maybe it's probably a better word in English for Chatsuf but you get the meaning but who is this obnoxious behavior towards your creator when you're not acting in modesty and holiness this is considered as if you are obnoxious and rude towards your creator and you're supposed to get yourself accustomed to always act with the awe of heaven fear of heaven and not be like one of these people that does the act without even covering yourself meaning complete immodesty where nothing is covered there's no blanket there's no sheet there's no nothing he's free willy and she is birth of the cow and they're meeting trying to perhaps bring a cup to the world says this is chutzpah chutzpah why chutzpah because it's as if they don't realize that Hashem is there so at the very least you need to be aware that of course Hashem sees everything but that does not absolve you from trying to be modest as the Gemara says in Masechet Yoma that there was a holy woman named Kimchit that had seven children that became Kohen Gadol and when she was asked how did you merit to have all of your children to be such holy people that would became Kohen Gadol she says Miyamai my whole life even my walls never saw my hair I always covered it with the mitpachat and even when I would change the mitpachat the, the, the scarf I would have a sheet on top of me so that I would change under the sheet so even the walls in my house needless to say people ever saw my hair so that modesty gave me the blessing 
that modesty is not just for Ima Shalom when she's alone with or with other people, but that modesty is even during the act of intimacy. And a person needs to know that although under the covers something different, but there has to be a cover. Why? To know that there is a creator out there. Just like a person is supposed to cover his head, not because Hashem doesn't want to see your bold spot, but rather because it shows that you are aware that there's a God above you. And one of the holy women of the previous generation, at the time of the Gemara, made sure that our son would wear a kippah, cover his head all the time. Why? Some fortune teller told her that, you know, your son is destined to become a criminal. Your son is destined to become a criminal. She was very scared of this, and she became fanatic about making sure that our son always covers his head at all times. And her son became one of the sages in the Gemara. And one day, there was a conversation about this. And the son says, yeah, I do have all those inclinations to do evil. But what can I do that my mother raised me with such a Yirat Shemaim that I constantly have to think about God. Why? He's on my head at all times. Every time I have a kippah, I put, I touch my kippah, I remember, oh, God is above. God is above. The kippah falls, oh, I have to put it back on. Why? God is above me. God is above me. So my mom made sure that I have a tool to constantly be reminded that there, God is above me. And he's watching everything. And he's writing everything. And he's listening to everything. Needless to say, a person needs to know this also during the act itself. That although Hashem gave you perfect permission to be together with your spouse with no problem during permissible times and so on, that does not mean that this is a time that you are removed from God. Because He is everywhere. So now, the Gemara continues in Masechet Nidan, page 16b, there are three people the Gemara says that Hashem hates. Obviously, there's more than three, but there are usually different lists in the Gemara that are lists that are connected to each other in different ways. Like the Gemara says, there are uh, three things that will happen before uh, that will surprise a person. If a uh, scorpion uh, uh, hits him uh, or stings him, if he finds a wallet, and when the Mashiach comes, that's going to surprise everybody. All these three things surprise everybody. Here the Gemara in Masechet Nedarim, in Masechet Nidam, sorry, Masechet Nidam, page 16, says, and that's what the Rashid Chokmah is quoting, there are three people that God hates them. One of them is a person that's intimate with his spouse or her spouse, Naked. What does it mean naked? Where they're not covered by a blanket. But don't misunderstand us to think that you should be intimate with your clothes on. Why? Because the Gemara in Masechet Ketubot says, if he doesn't want to remove his clothes, or she doesn't want to remove our clothes, meaning they want to be intimate, but with clothes on. Ketubah, give them the uh, uh, the Ketubah, 
it's worth nothing. We're getting divorced. Why? It's not a marriage. No way. Why? Because the unity, the unity is not just a spiritual unity. And it's not just a physical unity with just one part of your body. There is a significant impact when the two bodies actually touch. As the Rashid Chuchma elaborates on here, in the name of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, in the Tikkuni Zohar 92a, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai says, in the time, at the time that she uh, removes her clothing and is together, is united with her husband, this is fulfilling the verse in Bereshit, in uh, Genesis, chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 23, that Adam Rishon says to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, what was achieved? What was achieved through giving him Chava? This time, it's a bone of my bones and a flesh of my flesh. This shall be called the woman, for from man was she taken. So Rabbi Shimon Ba Yochai says, when a man and a woman are both under the covers, but their fleshes touch together. This is fulfilling a part of the Torah. It's fulfilling part of the Torah because this is the way for a the uh, spiritual aspect of the male to connect with the nukva, with the spiritual aspect of the female. both in this world and the upper worlds. Because when the male and the female bodies are together, this creates a yichud in the upper worlds. When there's the kiruv basa, when the two fleshes touch touch together. Hence the reason why, according to the Zohar Kadosh, uh, neither one is supposed to have any close-up. Sampos Kim are lenient in regards to if the one of the people is not stringent with it, it's okay, he's okay that she still has, I don't know, her shirt on or, or, or some aspect of the clothes, but according to the Zohar, it's a problem regardless. Either way, when a person understands that they can reach a spiritual yichud just by connecting one flesh and another, them with their spouse, that puts things in a different perspective. That when their fleshes, their two uh, fleshes uh, are together, that creates the elevation of the, uh, uh, of their souls. So, yeah, so I said that I shouldn't have any uh, clothes before, clothes between, and it actually brings a Gemara in Maseret Brachot on page 5b that the uh, 
just like a uh, person when he prays again the comparison between intimacy and prayer when he prays he shouldn't have anything between him and the, and the wall this is the same thing when he is a person is with his wife there shouldn't be anything between him and his wife Just like the uh, Torah says, that uh, they both are uh, naked, the, the man and his wife. This is referring to Adam and Chava. And this is referring to nakedness of the two fleshes being together. Now, up to here, we heard a lot perhaps we understood little and can do even less should we view ourselves as wicked no that's not the point the point is to educate ourselves for a purpose the Ramban in Ilchot Isue Bia in chapter 21 in Alcha number nine, he explains that uh, so long as a man is not wasting seed, and the seed goes into where it could reproduce in his wife, there's no problem. He could do what he wishes. So, what was the point of everything we just learned? The Gemara Masechet Nedarim says the teachings by Rabbi Yochanan ben Devai. And he says the ministering angels told him four things. Turned angels came and taught Rabbi Yochanan ben Devai some interesting Chidushim. He asked them why certain things are happening in the world. When I asked them, why are there lame people? Why are they lame people? He said, because their parents, when they're intimate, they overturn the table. What does it mean, overturn the table? Rashi says overturn the table is that they're cohabiting, they're intimate in a not the traditional way where the man is on top, but rather the opposite, where the woman is on top. This is not the traditional way. And therefore, this could lead to having a chasm shalom, a child that is lame. The tosfot say no no it's not that it's actually that he actually turns her around and does the act from behind this could result in lame children Hashem so Rabbi Yochanan says okay why are they uh, why are there mute people can't talk so the angels say because there's some people that kiss that place and I'm a vinyavin they kiss that place and that leads 
them to get a decree from Shemaim. They used a tool that Hashem gave them to speak and say the name of God for something like that. Okay, so they got children that can't talk. It's better off they can't talk. Then Rabbi Yochanan asked them, why are there people that are both mute and deaf? Why? He says, because there are some people when they're intimate, they converse at the time uh, of the uh, cohabitation, meaning they're loud and obnoxious and they yell. And the immodest thing that we were talking about earlier that, you know, the neighborhood watch is looking at their house or hearing their house. So because of that, in the Bed of Heaven, sometimes a decree comes to people like that. And why are they blind people? Some people get kids that are blind, chas v'shalom. It's because there are some people when they're intimate, they stare at that place. This is referring, obviously, for those of you who don't understand, it's always referring to the female part of the body. Now, this seems like it contradicts halacha. And it does. So what's the problem? What's, what's, what's the... Let's learn. The Gemara continues and Rabbi Yochanan says about Rabbi Yochanan ben Devai. He says, we don't pass in Alakha like Rabbi Yochanan ben Devai and what the angels taught him. We don't pass him like that. Because our sages taught us that whatever a man wants to do with his wife, he may do it. And the analogy can be drawn from a piece of meat that comes from a butcher store. If he wants to eat it with some salt, he may do so. If he wants to eat it roasted, he may do so. If he wants to eat it cooked, he may do so. If he wants to eat it stewed, he may do so. And so is the case with a fish that comes from a fishmonger. In so many words, Rabbi Rabban Yochanan says, whatever Rabbi Yochanan uh, ben Devai said, we're not saying it's false. We just don't pass in halacha like him. The halacha is, whatever a person wants to do with his wife, he's allowed to do it so long as he doesn't waste seed. And continuing with the appropriate modest language like Ima Shalom and the sages, Rabban Yochanan says, we'll give you an analogy. We're not going to tell you positions, ups and downs and, uh, and, and give the uh, visuals. Simple, a piece of meat. You got a kosher piece of meat. You want to stew it. You want to barbecue it. You want to make it part of a soup. You want to make it part of uh, make a steak. Whatever you want to do, bechavod, enjoy. Do whatever you want. Same thing you could do with your wife so long as you don't waste seed. And the same thing is with fish. The fish thing throws us off a little bit, but we'll get to that in a minute. So in so many words, you're allowed to do. 
You're allowed. So wait, so I don't understand. So what, why, why did we even need to learn what Rabbi Yochanan ben Davai said? Needless to say, why do we need to learn the last one hour and 50 minutes that the Rashid Chochmah said, the Zohar Kadosh said, the Gemara says, the Torah said, Shlomo HaMelech said, what's going on here? Each person has free choice, but it's not really free. What does that mean? It means that if you had free choice, that would mean that you can do whatever you want with no consequences. Obviously, anyone with a brain knows that that is not available. What do we have? We have choice, which is every choice has a consequence, whether that consequence is a benefit or a loss. If you make the right choice, you'll have a benefit. The wrong choice, you'll have a problem. You'll have a loss. Needless to say, this is what it's referring to here. If a person wants to be regular person, average person, just live life, fulfill the halacha, the basic minimum, They can do that in their life, in the way that they pray, in the way that they give tzedakah, in the way that they learn, even in the way that they're intimate. They can do whatever is allowed. They can do whatever they are willing to do. They're not going to push themselves too much. If I'm too tired, I'm not going to learn. If I'm, uh, I have a lot of expenses coming up, I'm not going to give tzedakah. If, uh, uh, you know, I don't feel like it, I'm not going to pray hard, and so on and so forth. They're just going to do whatever they need to do to get by. This is, unfortunately, historically speaking, the way that most people are naturally inclined to be. Just do, just let me get by. That's how people are with business, hence the reason why there are very few people that are extremely successful versus the rest of society. This is the way people are in a lot of aspects of their life. So, the sages are teaching us that if you want to just do the basics, you can. But that's what you're going to get as a result. Meaning, you're going to be exposed to certain risks. When you work the basic minimum just to fill in your hours, and once in a while if you can get away with 15 minutes early or 15 hours early and no one's going to notice, and once in a while you could just not work as fast because you don't feel like it and not really push yourself, then guess what? You can keep that job and fulfill whatever chair is there for you. But if the day comes and there are layoffs because the company wants to tighten up the ship, the company wants to make sure that they're only keeping the best of the best, surely you know you're not going to be picked at that point. You're not going to have any special protection. Why? Because in order to get that special protection... You have to have a special relationship. You cannot get the special relationship if you're not doing above and beyond. If you're just doing the basics, there are plenty of people just like you in the world that are doing the basics and thereby you are making yourself disposable, replaceable in the world of commerce. Needless to say, your relationship 
with your company with your boss with your clients is also disposable replaceable it's not something that is a uh creating any extraordinary value and at the same token your relationship with god it's valuable but you're not going to be the favorite you're not going to be in the same uh, uh playing field as someone that exerts themselves as much as possible when they pray when they learn if they can't uh do it they push themselves anyway if they can't give they push themselves anyway you're not going to be you, you understand this so now a person needs to be aware that as far as alacha the rambam gave us alacha this is what you need to do in order to stay within the square of you're not a criminal if you want to be above and beyond then there are ways to do that too you have to be more modest you have to be more reserved you have to be more generous you have to push yourselves harder when it comes to chesed push yourself harder when it comes to tzedakah push yourself harder when it comes to torah you have to do a lot more how much more as much as you possibly can now you can say wait a minute if i can't do everything i'm just gonna i'm just gonna do basic maybe i shouldn't do anything at all no no no. you're misunderstanding no one is telling you have to push yourself to the max what we're telling you is that you can whenever you feel like it and even if you only push yourself to the max once in a while that's still a win but you should know that if you simply give up on yourself declare yourself as someone that does not want to advance from whatever animalistic way they were born and and brought into this world that's the way they want to remain then that is a little bit of a problem why because that decision is costly it's not costly because anyone is saying you're violating the halacha if you are doing things like not following anything we just said and doing the opposite as long as you are not wasting seed as long as you're not promiscuous with somebody else as long as you're not uh, uh immoral with your eyes and, and behavior as long as you're doing everything you can technically do all the different things that people do but there's a downside Rabbi Yochanan ben, ben Devai says what I said it may not be a lacha but it is true meaning you can do what people do but when people do it they don't realize oh yeah you had fun for for what those two three four five six seven ten minutes whatever it was you turned her upside down but then you got what a kid that uh wasn't so good what happened to him he was lame oh Oh, what'd you do? What'd you do? Oh, you, that's what you do with your head, your mouth, your eyes. Oh, and what happened? He was deaf. He was mute. He was deaf and mute. He was lame, deaf and mute. You feel like you're, you want to be deaf. You wish you were blind he, because that was blind. Oh, why? I follow the yeah you follow the lacha but more is available if you knew its value you'd grab it as immediately you see Abutai, there are certain things that are allowed but no one says that you should do it 
You're allowed to go to certain places. Doesn't mean you have to go. You're allowed to eat certain things. Doesn't mean you need to eat them. You're allowed to talk to certain people. Doesn't really mean that you should talk to them. There are plenty of things that are allowed there. Quite frankly, there are many more things that are allowed than not allowed. But it doesn't mean that there is a guidance that is promoting you to fulfill all that is allowed to you. In fact, the more a person wants to elevate their neshama to the point where they're unifying their soul with their creator, the more they're going to reserve themselves, minimize themselves, minimize their lusts, minimize their desires. We're not saying eliminate them. You're still a human. We're all humans. But, and everybody has their own needs and crazes and so on. And some of this stuff may seem completely impossible and implausible to certain people at this stage of their life. But it doesn't mean you need to simply accept failure. Because sometimes you can succeed. How so? If a person has at least an understanding of the benefits of at least trying and takes that into account, they can say, you know what? I can't do all of that stuff. But I have desires A, B, and C with my spouse. I heard that there's certain risks as a result of this A, B, and C. Do I really need it? Yes. Do I need all three? Not necessarily. So maybe tonight I'll cut out C and we'll just do A and B. Guess what? That minimizing of just one of those riding on a horse and being a uh, astronaut at the same time, that is elevating your neshama a little bit more than it was otherwise. If a person wants to do more, they can cut out two out of three. Perhaps if they continue elevating their soul and their spouse alike, and they behave in a holier way, they'll find themselves in a place where they not only have much more attraction to each other, both spiritually and physically, much more elevated souls and connections to God, but even have much more beautiful children, both beauty inside and out, much more beautiful marriage within the home and out, much more success in their business, in their learning of Torah, in their overall life, and most importantly, a much more, much more extraordinary relationship with God, that God says, I want this forever. And therefore, their heaven becomes forever. You see, everybody can just coast. And most people in society choose to coast. They choose to just get by. They choose the jobs that require you to do the same thing over and over again, not very different than a robot. Then they complain when a robot takes their job. They want to do the same thing every day, press this button every day, drive this car every day, go here every day, 
press on these buttons every day say hello this is such and such every day why because i know where i'm gonna be i know how i'm gonna be and i'm not gonna have any surprises and you're right most people that's what they want but then there are the people that we read about there are the people that are extraordinary not because of their achievements because that's in the hands of God but rather because of their choices where they make an act of choice each day to do more more than the next guy is doing more than the next girl did and even more so more than they themselves did just the day before if a person treats their life with some seriousness and realizes that those people that just get by they usually become the most disposable they usually become the most tortured they usually become the ones that are like gray you're not really sure if you need it if you want to be who you can be and who you should be you have to do more how much more more than yesterday and after you do more than yesterday do more than today and after you do more than today do more than tomorrow and after you do more than tomorrow do more than that even again and what if you fail try again you fail again try again but just keep going most importantly don't accept that this is it there's no more because there is no such world as no more Hashem gave us a world that he created and he has the ability to make more whenever he feels like it the choice is ours to decide if we want that more if you push yourself to do more you'll end up being more and that's applied something you can apply to your job to your parenthood to your career to your marriage and as we learned today even to your intimacy and all of that can help a person get a more successful relationship more satisfying relationship and holier relationship with their creator and that's also life without regrets because people that try their hardest they don't have regrets the only people that have regrets are people that say maybe i could have done more don't be one of those people i know it sounds like a lot and it sounds even impossible but it's important for us to know these things to answer the last question that people would ask after comparing giving the analogy of the meat for the relation between a man and a woman why does the Rabbi Yochanan or Rabban Yochanan say that even if it's fish from a fishmonger you can do it in different ways one of the Italian Chachamim from the uh, 1700s 
רבי עמנואל חי ריקי. עליו השלום, he was actually a huge חכם, giant, got murdered by bandits that uh, strangled him with his own tefillin. In their uh, process of robbing him from all the tzedakah money that he collected for the community. Imachimam, these people that murdered him. Anyway, this giant, this tzaddik, Rabbi Emanuel Chayriki, says the reason why, after using the analogy that the man can do what he pleases with his wife, and the wife is compared to a piece of meat, because that's the verse in Genesis that they're going to be together like a flesh and flesh, besar besarem. This is also to teach us that the relations, the intimacy, is also the opposite, meaning that the wife is the is a uh, the husband is the fish, and the wife can cook him in any way that she wants. If she prefers for him to do this, she's allowed to do this. If she prefers him to do that, she's allowed to do that. Everything is allowed as long as it doesn't lead to wasting seed promiscuity with others and so on so this is both for the man and the woman are both allowed to do a lot of things there's very few things that are not allowed but just because it's allowed doesn't mean we need to do it she can reach a much higher level of holiness he can reach a much higher level of holiness and if they choose to do so they will certainly live a life without any regrets because the only people that regret something are people that don't try on that each and every single one of us succeeds in elevating our souls achieving what our sages teach us here in his holy torah both in our day-to-day lives as well as in our marriages and create a whole new generation full of holy people and transform the current one into being much holier than they are. Thank you for learning with me. Shem bless each and every single one of you. For those of you that want to donate to the new Gehenom campaign, it's like I said, Gehenom.com or if you want to just simply donate on our website, you go to bhdonate.org or the bezatashem.org website or the website or the app, the Bezatashem app. Thanks again for learning with me. Shem bless each and every single one of you. We'll see each other again tomorrow. To be honest with you, to give this lecture is a nightmare. If it was up to me, I wouldn't do it. There's going to be some graphic details. Not midrashim, not gemarot. We did that already. Where is Genom in Alacha? What did the Hasidim actually say about punishment? Is there suffering? Is there a physical place of fire or snow? We're simply trying to verify that Hashem takes vengeance against the sinners or not. Do you believe that angels, demons exist? We're doing a Ouija board video today. This is by far the largest near-death experience study that has ever been conducted. What happens the moment you die?
person needs to know that he's not going to be a friend. Yeah, I went to a place of timelessness. It was me judging myself on what I could have done better. Not the rebuke of some book. This is a rebuke of a Kadosh Baruch Hu when we go up to Shemaim.